Welcome to Sleepaway Camp. Just when you thought you had seen it all, something new is waiting to scare you to death. Sleepaway Camp. You won't be coming home. Sleepaway Camp. Rated R. Now playing at a theater near you. Check newspapers for listings. Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Over, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're back for another Halloween Classics episode. Yes. So we, uh, we've we actually got quite a few uh, plays on last week's The Fog episode, which is, is nice to know that people actually uh, want to listen to us talking about good films. Yeah, very pleased. Um, I, I'm assuming it went down well. Yeah, I, we don't know a lot from you guys. A lot of people listen and don't, you know, let us know what you think. Just just message us. Let us know uh, how we're doing, if you're uh, enjoying what we're doing. But, um, I mean, uh, shout out to one of our regular listeners, our friend Maz. Um, she yeah. sent a lovely message the other day saying how uh, we make a big difference to her day with this podcast, which is nice to know. Hi, Maz. And uh, the of course the guys at um, movies said bad they're good. They've been saying more nice stuff about us on their podcast. Um, one of their guys actually was speaking to me the other day. Said that they'll be watching uh, Howling Two soon. Yes. You, <laughs> good luck with that one. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it does have the best end credit sequence of all time. <laughs> uh, we should. Let's not spoil it. We should Let's definitely do that one day. We should. We should. What What's the um. The name Sturber Werewolf Sturber Bitch. Sturber Werewolf Bitch. So yeah, you know, starring <laughs> Sybil Danning. Yes. So uh, Christopher Lee. Christopher Lee. So trash. What a film. Cult film. You know, royalty there. Oh, I just got a notification from that group. Ooh. Oh, <laughs> oh, that's know we're talking oh. about them. <laughs> anyway, um, so for today's episode, we have another banger, another great film, and it's actually Chris's choice this week. Yeah, this was my choice. Our category was just summer, summer camp. Slashers. Slashers, yeah, yeah. Big genre, lot to choose from. I chose this film, and I chose... For us to discuss it, because I think there's a lot to discuss there. It's it's a good film. It's a, a fun film to watch. And it's an interesting one. It, it hasn't aged particularly well. Um, so there's uh, a lot to dig into. I actually enjoyed this way more this time watching it than I've probably ever done. Uh, which, is, which is really weird because, I mean... I mean, first of all, what are we talking about? We're talking about Sleepaway Camp. Sleepaway, Sleepaway Camp Away from Camp. 1983, uh, directed by Robert Hiltzik, who actually only directed this and one of the sequels, and so he didn't work on anything else. I'm not sure why. why yeah, just... I mean, he, you know, I think he, he's got a potential there to be a good horror director, but no, he just made two films in the same franchise. But um, as I was saying, I enjoyed this so much more this time around, which is weird because... I mean, we were making notes, and what we, obviously, you know, we pick films apart, and this is, it's strange, because there's a lot to say about it, but this is the least amount of notes I've made, because I just, I just enjoyed it so much, it's uh, such a fun slasher film. Yeah, I found, with, last week, with The Fog, and I wasn't, you know, I loved the film, but I'm not the biggest 
fan of the film, uh, The Fog. And um, I found us sort of picking it apart and analysing it. I did appreciate it a bit more for its art. And I, I think the same for this film as well. I think taking... Because sometimes you just shove on a film and, you know, it's there and you're watching it and you're not really taking... A hundred percent of notice of it, really, you know. Yeah. Um, particularly with these sort of films where we see them as sort of pure entertainment rather than, you know, something to be analysed and, you know, we're not, it's not Bergman here. But, you know, there's a Although, lot to talk about. Yeah, just, just have a big talking point, particularly around the film's ending and uh, the trans representation in this film. But, I mean, we'll get to that when we get to the ending. Um, but uh, to start us off, just a little bit of, uh, little bit of trivia. Um, this was one of the very few slasher films where it was actually kids playing kids. Yeah, I thought that was very interesting. Um, sort of by... I'm assuming it was filmed in 82, released in 83. By that sort of time, a lot of slasher film tropes had been developed. You know, there's dozens and dozens and dozens of slasher films that go with the same formula. And a lot of them had much older actors for, you know, the obvious reason of they could work a lot longer. Yeah. These actors over 18... Um, they could do nudity, you, you know, really, which is a big slasher film trope. And um, it was quite refreshing to, to watch a film where the kids were kids and they acted like kids and they, they felt like kids. And, yeah. I mean, it makes some of the scenes a little more creepier, but... Um, yeah, absolutely. But, it, yeah. you know, I mean, it has such a charm that it's actually, you know, it's a little more realistic. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, as Chris said, this is coming off the whole 80s slasher craze and it was obviously heavily influenced by uh, the likes of Friday the 13th and The Burning. Uh, you, you could see so many tropes from those films within this film. And, you know, it, it's one of the few that doesn't feel like it's just another carbon copy. It actually feels separate to those films. It feels like this is its own entity and, you know, could be quite influential within itself. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, back to the trivia. It's uh, also Mike Kellen's final film because he was actually really ill whilst filming it. He played uh, the pervy counsellor? He Mel? played um, Mel. Yeah. Mel, so he was the owner of the camp. yeah. Yeah, and uh, he, he died before the film was released, I believe. Yeah, yeah, it was. Just three months after the film uh, finished filming, um, he died. I'm not sure what else he was in. Um, he, he was quite old at the time. I'd say he's pushing the 70s, weren't he? Yeah. Um, I don't know if he was in any sort of old school films. Um, he was in uh, Just Before Dawn, which is another... Campground slasher film. Uh, he was in uh, Midnight Express. Yeah. And he was in The Jazz Singer. So, seemingly he'd had uh, probably a, a sort of a bit of a career as a character actor. Like, uh, quite a lengthy one looking at his IMDb. So, yeah, so it's a real shame that he didn't sort of. Because I would probably suggest that it's his most famous role. Yeah. 
uh, for a lot of people. It's a shame that he didn't really live to see it because it was a successful film as well. Yeah, um, and it you know it is a court film, but it was also I mean a lot of court films they you know they bomb to start with and then they you know become popular over time. But this was actually quite popular when it was first released. Yeah, yeah. So it's a real shame that he didn't really see live to see it uh, blossom. Yeah, this was actually also filmed at the director's uh, own summer camp that he went to as a child. Did you know that? No, I didn't. No. Yeah. No, that's interesting. And it also went on to spawn three sequels. Do you want to talk a bit about the sequels before we get into it? Yeah, a little bit about the sequels. Um, the two and three were filmed back to back. And they very much go into the tongue-in-cheek black comedy area of slasher films um they are enjoyable to watch two is better than three two is better than three 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 um three is very cheap very very cheap um and it it doesn't help but um two two is a fun film to watch starring pamela springsteen yeah replacing (laughs) felissa rose yeah so uh um i think they wanted felissa rose but she was sort of in Education. No, no, she oh, no. she auditioned for it. Did she? No, the, yeah, she auditioned for it, but the director wanted Pamela Springsteen. Oh, wow. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Oh. Yeah. Maybe um, I'm thinking of someone else then that didn't return. I don't know, because I kind of feel like I've heard that as well, um, that she couldn't because of her education. I, so it, it is one of the two, but the recent one I heard that I read upon today was that um, the director was dead set on getting... Bruce's sister in. Yeah, Bruce's... Uh, Bruce's... Bruce's... <laughs> oh, bloody hell. Bruce Springsteen's sister. Star, she was in... Well, she wasn't in much else, really. She was Pamela. in Fast Times at Richmond High. Maybe barely. Barely. <laughs> and, um... Yeah, so she's probably most famous for playing Angela in the sequels and being Bruce's sister. It, uh, actually... Another sequel um, was that got released briefly was Sleepaway Camp 4 The Survivor, which is basically half an hour of new footage and an hour of flashbacks to uh, the first three films. Have you seen that? I haven't. I haven't had the pleasure of uh, of seeing that one yet. It doesn't sound... I have good. seen Return to Sleepaway Camp, though, and that's... Eh, it's all right. It's yeah. not as good as Sleepaway Camp 2 or 1. Um... Probably better than three, I'd say. Um, yeah, something special. But they are rebooting it, um, which is interesting. Especially if they're going down the remake route, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the ending. Yeah. For a modern day audience. Yeah, that's... If they do what Blumhouse did with Halloween, if they do a direct sequel to, like, the first film, then that's great. I mean, I think that could work. If they do go down a remake route, then it's going to be interesting. I I think it loses its edge after, you know... You you watch a film like this the first time. I was looking out for it this time. Yeah, and and you are. You're looking at all the makes Yeah, for me, it made the film better for... The first, it makes the rest of the film, apart from the ending, better for its LGBT representation because, you know, obviously, Angela is secluded. She's trying, you know, she's obviously hiding 
this big secret and you know she's being treated differently for it and i'm sure there's something in there we could all relate to you know she's uh, an outsider she's singled out obviously you know we oh, but we'll get through the, i think yeah so. we'll get to I the end once we I, get to the end because this is the so. main talking point of the film it is. this is the it is. you know what everybody knows this film for but, um, yeah, it just made a bit of a difference knowing this time going in. And it, it, it kind of adds a level of sympathy to Angela's character, despite her, you know, going around butchering people. Um, <laughs> but anyway, um, budget of 350000 Yeah, you can tell. And, uh, yeah, the plot is Angela Baker, a traumatised and shy girl, is sent to a summer camp with her cousin. And shortly after her arrival... Anyone with sinister and less than honourable intentions gets their comeuppance. And we start with a title card saying, In fond memory of mum, a doer. Yeah, so um, the director, Robert Hiltzik, his uh, mother had died quite recently before the filming. Yeah, and he made the film with uh, some the insurance, insurance money. insurance money that he got from her death. I think she died in a, a, a tragic accident, didn't she? she? I believe so. Yeah. And then so. we get the film's title card amongst autumn. autumn. In <laughs> summer. Autumn, yes. Yes, that's that budget there for you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah with, uh, with, a fr- <laughs> with a Friday the 13th-esque score, um, orchestral, rather than... Uh, synth. Yeah, rather than synth. There's a lot of synth pop throughout, and we'll get on to that, because I like it. But uh, we do start with... Uh, an orchestral uh, piece of music. Before we're introduced to some awful child acting and a massive hairy chest. Oh, yes, yes, yes. And our first introduction to short shorts. Oh, uh, so many short shorts in this film. So many short shorts in this film. Very, very... Uh, uh, wow, yeah. 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 It could, could it be any more 80s. <laughs> very, very 80s. Very 80s. But we are introduced to uh, these two children, Peter and Angela. And they're having fun by the lake with their... Who we presume to be their father. And um, in the background, there's a very, very whiny, very scared water skier. <laughs> uh, and... Um, yeah, uh, what happens is an accident occurs in the water. The, the, water's... the whiny water skier gets more and more whiny. Yeah, the, <laughs> the motorboat that's pulling the water skier uh, collides with the family and tragically the father and one of the children dies. Yeah, and we're, we presume that the, uh, the boy has died. Uh, because then uh, we are introduced to Angela eight years later with her cousin Ricky and her psychotic aunt who is uh, overacting just a bit. She hams it up something She was terrifying. I, I, I don't even know if she was meant to be terrifying, but with that outfit and that acting... Oh, I love that outfit. That really? Beret. It was amazing. <laughs> For the 80s? Yeah, she looks great. She, I love her outfit. She loves she's got straight out of a time machine. <laughs> I think she looks fantastic. She is hamming this up. She, yeah. 
something crazy. She's having a great time. Yeah. She's just, like, questioning everything she's saying, everything she tells the kids. It's just... It's bizarre. She's a sandwich sort of a picnic, I think, is what we're meant to get from that. She's... uh, Zany, I suppose. Yeah, everything she's thinking, she's shouting it out loud. She is. She is. She's chewing on that scenery. So she um, says goodbye to her son Ricky and his cousin Angela, her niece. Yeah, and before they go, she reminds them to take their medicals. Yes. And reminds them to not tell anyone how they got those medicals. <laughs> so that's, that's sort of your first sign that something iffy is going on. Well, I mean, just looking at her is your first sign that something yeah, going I mean, on. In terms of the two kids, um, you know, uh, you know something's not right. Because she explains that, you know, she must have got the medicals in a uh, sort of... Um, What's the word that I want? Backhanded manner. In a backhanded (laughs) manner. Yes. So then um, we see some school buses arrive at Camp Arawak. And fun fact, this is Angela, actress, Felissa Rose's uh, relatives getting off the bus. A lot of them. A, a lot of them. I, they must be mixed with some other casts and crews. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> relatives. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so we see everyone arriving at camp. And then we are introduced to uh, Darth Vader's father, uh, yes. Robert Earl Jones. Robert Earl Jones. And, Unmistakable uh, voice. Yeah. That, that he, voice runs through that family. And some other um, members of staff at the camp, including a very uh, pervy head chef. <laughs> yeah. He refers to them as young fresh chicken or baldies. Yeah. And they're making his mouth water. Uh, and these are, as we said earlier, these um, kids are playing kids. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, it would be questionable even if it was, you know, adults playing kids and they were meant to be that age and this guy was talking like that. But the fact that these are actually kids and this guy's talking about it, it's really uncomfortable. It is, but it's meant to be, you know. We're not, yeah. we're not meant to like him. And he, he also says that um, there's no such thing as being too young. Yes. Um, <laughs> so um, we move on to uh, an introduction to a character called Paul, which is a friend of Ricky's. Um, he's telling Ricky how um, his past love from the year before, Judy, has now got big boobs. Yes. Um, and then we get introduced to Judy, and she is an iconic bitch. She yeah, she's she's a bitch queen. She is Oh fantastic. she is I was living for this character. She's I mean got, she's there for you to hate, but she is so bitchy. She's got hair down to her <laughs> midriff, you know, she's slaying the game. Yeah, she ain't got time for no one. She ignores Ricky, she's like, nah, yeah. whatever, got big tits now. Don't yeah. <laughs> don't need you anymore. <laughs> She makes it clear she's too good for him. She is far too good now that her boobs are grown. And then we get introduced to Meg, who has to spell her name out, just in case she didn't get it. M-E-G. Meg. Thank you for that, guy. Yes. <laughs> did you not catch that? Which she has did, to, yeah, uh, yeah, she did. She, just in she's case anyone need to needs to, uh, name. to spell it. M-E-G, so, um, And then Susie, which is yeah. another camp counsellor, and uh, she's... You can tell straight away that she's the sweet one. She's the nice one. Yeah, you never really get to see much of her, though. No, no, but she is, you know... This is all about Meg and Judy. This is, is their camp. Is. Don't fuck with them. Yeah, they rule the uh, the camp. 
So uh, then we uh, move on to a lunch scene where Angela's not very hungry. So um, she's taken to uh, the head chef who uh, was given the task of finding her something to eat and uh, instead he tries to molest her. Yeah, so the pedo chef takes her uh, into the the back of the kitchen. It's just the two of them. He starts undoing his belts. And we all know where it's going and Ricky comes in and uh, stops it. And uh, we get an awkward moment where he walks into the kitchen whilst doing up his belt. <laughs> and Mel's sort of giving him the side eye. Like, yeah. what's going on here? Well, it's pretty obvious, Mel. Even though Mal's not much better himself, which we'll find out towards uh, yeah. the end of the film. <laughs> yeah, that's probably why he lets it slide. Yeah. So uh, then we get to find out something uh, a little sketchy's going on at this camp. We get some point of view shots, and if anyone's watched Friday the Thirteenth, you know that's not a good sign. So these POV shots show um, someone walking up to the head chef. In the kitchen. Well, the head chef is teetering on a chair over a absolutely fucking humongous pot. <laughs> I don't know if they exist. I, I think I read somewhere that that pot had to be especially made <laughs> because pots that big not do me. not exist. And then it's health and safety. The health and safety has gone out the window by this point because he's he's a big guy on and all quite the clothes a are filthy. Small chair. Oh, yeah, his clothes are filthy, and uh, he's sort of trying to... What's he doing? Is he putting sweet corn in this humongous <laughs> pot? And I, I mean, I, I'm sorry to go on about it, but it's absolutely ridiculous how big this pot is. Yeah. And uh, so we get a point-of-view shot, someone creeping up on him, don't like what he's been doing, and uh, gives him a shove. Pulls the chair from under him, and the pot goes flying. Yeah, and we get our first death. Well, I mean, our first death within the camp. And uh, he is covered in this boiling water, and we get some disgusting <laughs> makeup effects. Those after... makeup effects, considering it was quite a small budget, the makeup effects in this film are really quite good. This one in particular. You could see the um, the blisters on his face like you moving could. and it's yeah, yeah it's, it's it's great. And really then good job actually. The uh, the sight of that is mixed with the sight of um, <laughs> an overreaction from Darth Vader's dad. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's what I would you react to that way I mean you you'd be happen? shocked but you'd at least go and try and get help he just stands there staring at him <laughs> that do, I mean that does happen a bit in this film that water skier at the beginning when she's screaming about somebody help them <laughs> but she's just like sat there while screaming it's like uh, why don't you do it <laughs> so after this uh, Darth Vader's dad gets a promotion he's the new head chef but that's the last you see of him yeah so nothing really well, happens to him. Maybe he, maybe he was quite costly. The yeah. actor was quite costly, so uh, he just did his few little shots. And next up, we get a uh, a weird prank where we're uh, forced to look at a kid's ass. Oh yeah, Paul Mozart. He's um, he's the this the, um, kid with glasses. So essentially. He's ripe for being bullied. And um, it's a game. What's the game called? 
I didn't get the name of the game down, but essentially... Mind Over Matter. It's yeah. It's Mind Over Matter, and they're playing a prank on him, and it ends up with his face in someone's ass. Yeah. Wasn't pleasant. Um, fact, actually, uh, the kid that played Mozart was actually bullied on set. Yeah, I read this. They took it a little too far. Um, they were being very method about it, and someone had to sort of put a stop to it and say, Oi. It's just a fucking film. Calm down. Method acting on sleep There we go. Method acting. It's a shame, really. Um, that's not very nice. But No. But shortly after that, we get a prolonged homoerotic baseball game. Yeah. So we get um, more short shorts. Uh, this time playing baseball. And... That's about it. I mean, it's just playing baseball. Yeah. It sort but, of establishes who the, you know, horrible guys are and they wind up Ricky a treat, don't they? It is home to the best <laughs> line of dialogue in the, in the whole film. Well, the best dialogue exchange in the whole film. So uh, we meet Bill, who's kind of like the head bully, I'd say. And he... Uh, they're having this intense game of baseball, and he says to Ricky, eat shit and die, Ricky. To which Ricky replies, eat shit and live, Bill. There we go. And he sounds so satisfied when he's saying that line. And it, it's it's what I touched on earlier about the kids talking like kids. You know? Kids, Pretty sure I never said eat shit and live when I was a kid. that <laughs> age swore, you know, and acted that way. So it's, it's quite an honest sort of view of the kids, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd pretty sure I'd rather eat shit and die than eat shit and live. That does sound disgusting. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, shortly after this, we're, get it, we're given like a uh, kind of camp disco, is it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Synth pop disco, I put. Yeah, synth pop disco. Amazing. Amazing <laughs> synth pop in the background. Yeah, they... I suppose they call it the social, don't they? Yes. And then uh, they're at the social and uh, we are given uh, an introduction to a character with a blue oyster cult t-shirt and a mullet. Nice. Yes. (laughs) Essentials for the 80s. And that's that's Kenny. Yes. We'll see him performing a song soon. And uh, he's with his friend with a pink shirt, which is just a really ugly pink shirt. And they're trying to uh, chat up Angela. Well, Angela sat there staring whilst eating a chocolate bar, <laughs> which essentially was the when she auditioned for the role. Yeah. That's what the director got her to do. She she does sit there staring with a chocolate bar. Yeah, she does lots of uh, sitting around staring and not talking in this film. It's, a, it's yeah. a it's a character trope of Angela's. It is a character trope, and it, it's one that makes her not necessarily a sympathetic character, if I'm being honest. Yeah. Because, you know, the place is full of, you know, bullies and, and bitches. But if you were with somebody like that, the way she was, you would start to get frustrated, you know, and... And Meg gets frustrated a fair bit throughout the film and she's a counsellor and she's trying to sort of interact with Angela and she's just getting completely blanked. I could see how that would become a little frustrating, you know, being with somebody who just doesn't talk, doesn't eat, 
but then stares and sometimes stares at you. Yeah, I mean, oh. I suppose the whole thing is that she's traumatised there from what happened when she was younger with the Yeah, brother. yeah, no, I do understand that. And, you know, I wouldn't go to the lengths that the girls go to uh, throughout the film. But I can understand, you know, and that maybe you, you would lose your rag. Well, these guys certainly do lose their rag. Um, well, you know, one of them loses his mullet, should we say. Uh, that was terrible. Anyway, so they get really annoyed, is what I'm trying to say. I <laughs> forget that. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I was getting at. So they, go, they get really annoyed, but then someone shows up to the rescue. Ricky turns up with a fucking cowboy hat on. This... Pull this is by probably my favourite uh, wardrobe choice in the film. A film Converse full of, t-shirt. Full of men in crop tops, short shorts, berets, and uh, this cowboy hat. Massive <laughs> cowboy hat that you never see again. It's amazing. Yeah, so he turns up, he's pissed off that people are picking on his cousin and the fight breaks out. And then uh, we get a little more of Paul and he's actually quite likeable. Yeah. To start with. Yeah, he's likeable. And uh, he has a thing for Angela. He does. Yeah. Goes so over and talks to her. Yeah. Finally gets a word out of her. She says, Good night. Good night. Follow, but what does he say? Good night. <laughs> he is the most over exaggerated good night. <laughs> he's very pleased with himself and he got a word out of her. So, uh, and then we get some mandatory 80s summer camp slasher skinny dipping. Yeah. Which is even weirder, because again, these are fucking kids. <laughs> this was actually trimmed uh, originally. They um, didn't show a lot of the kids going into the lake. Um, but then for the Blu-ray release uh, from, I think it's Screen Factory in America, they uh, restored it. And uh, you get to see... Group of kids running into a lake with no clothes on. Yeah, a weird, another way that this sort of goes against the uh, normal slasher film uh, tropes is there's a lot more male nudity yeah. in this film well, than there is female rare, nudity. R- rare, um, rare, rare nudity. <laughs> male nudity. You, you know. Um, Thank God. You, you don't see... <laughs> don't want to see... You don't see any female nudity, really. And... A, and Bless them, the cast, uh, this was filmed in autumn, pretending to be summer. So they're all in shorts all the time. <laughs> or some of the girls are in bikinis and, and such. They must have been freezing on set. Sometimes in doing that skinny dipping scene, they must have been really cold. Yeah. Being <laughs> late night, autumn, um, no clothes on. Well, our uh, mullet friend takes a girl out on a boat and starts being all romantic before he uh, tips the boat over. Yeah, so Kenny's a wind-up merchant, essentially, and he takes this Leslie out. Um, we, it's the only time we ever see her. Yeah. Isn't it? You know, she's not an established character. Takes this Leslie out for a late-night canoe trip and uh, decides, oh, do you know what, I'm going to be a bit of a twat and uh, tip the boat over. Yeah. And which he does. So she swims away and he gives us a song. He does. So he's underneath the boat calling to Leslie, again, being a right wind-up merchant. And um, he does <laughs> probably my favourite line of dialogue from the film. <clears throat> Getting prepared for it. Hey, Barbary Bob. <laughs> it's completely out of nowhere. Do you prefer that or do you prefer 
From Friday the 13th, part 5. Oh, um... Oh, that's a difficult choice. I mean, the guy in Friday the 13th, part 5, is taking a shit while singing. He is. I'm gonna go with... Ooh, baby. Ooh, baby. It it is iconic. That is iconic, actually. Yeah. They both are. They both are, really. So, So, yeah, we get a bit of Hey Bobba Rebop. And then we get to see the back of the killer's head. And uh, at this point, the way they filmed it is very, very clever. I mean, I think this was actually Ricky, um, the actor who plays Ricky. because Throughout the whole film, Felissa Rose's mother didn't want her to play the killer at any point. So whenever you see part of the killer's body, whether it be the head, um, the hand, or at one point uh, a full sort of silhouetted profile, (laughs) we'll get on to that. Um, it is actually, um, I forget the actor's name, forgive me, uh, the guy who plays Ricky, it is actually him playing the killer. Yeah, and... Hence, uh, some manly hands at some point. This scene in particular, it's, um, you know, you, you could easily mistake that for Angela, so, I mean, the way oh, they yeah. filmed it, the angle and everything is, is really clever. Uh, and then, uh... I mean, yeah, spoiler alert, the killer is Angela, by the way. Um, Just in case, you know, we kind of spoke like everyone would already know that. I mean, I'm sure, and if you've listened to this, then, you know, you've already seen it. We'd hope you've watched the film before listening to this, to be honest. So, Um, um, it is a good film. Yeah. It is, you know, a good twist. So, we'd hope that you'd have watched it. Or, if you never intend to watch it, thanks for listening anyway. (laughs) Well, a bop bop gets drowned by uh, by the killer. By the killer. So he gets drowned, um, splashing about underneath this canoe. Yeah, and then they find his body the day after. Uh, the whingy lifeguard. Yeah, the, the whingy lifeguard calls everyone pickleheads. Pickleheads. Um, he discovers the body where... You can tell, I mean, you can tell it's a fake head, but... He has a fucking snake coming out of it. Yeah, that another good sort of special effects, I thought. I thought it was quite effective. Yeah. That snake coming out of his mouth. Yeah. So, after the body is discovered, this uh, this leads to the local police force coming in. One police officer in particular. And as you know, on the Horror Court Trash of a podcast, we love a good moustache. We do. This guy... A good moustache. <sighs> He goes through some moustache transformation in this film. This might be our best one yet. <laughs> At first, he's got a big, real, very important to remember, real meaty moustache. Um, and uh, Mal is uh, acting really suspicious... At this stage, you could easily think it was him that was a killer. Like, um, yeah, so you're going to not tell anybody about this? Uh, let's keep it on the down low. I think he's worried about his money. Uh, I, don't, I don't think... The, the way it's sort of filmed and the way the plot goes, throughout the film, you're either... It's either Angela or it's Ricky. I don't think there's... When you see the back of the head in the canoe, that's definitely not Mel's. Oh, yeah, we know that's not Mel's. Definitely but not Mel's head. Like, I mean, to this police officer, though, this police officer just came in, he's found a dead body, he's been told that someone else died there, and you got this camp counsellor, like, yeah, okay, let's keep this on the down low, like, you know, trying to keep him quiet. The police officer's probably thinking, hang on a minute. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a weird... But I think Mel is just worried that everyone's going to go and he's going to lose money. They're going to shut the camp down and he's going to lose money. Well, 
Judy's got biggie, uh, bigger worries on her mind. Because uh, she's seeing Paul flirting with Angela and she is fuming. Yeah, so this... <laughs> she what? couldn't give a shit about the killings or anything. This is what she cares about. Well, they don't know about it at that point, do they? About the killings. Well, I they mean... Know Kenny's had a tragic accident. <laughs> I don't think she was close to him anyway. Only for a flirt. But this... <laughs> this cements Judy as a proper slay queen... She is playing volleyball, and what's she wearing? <laughs> a t-shirt, a t-shirt with her own name on. <laughs> I strive, strive to be that fabulous. It might I, be my Halloween costume I this year. I really want a t-shirt that says Chris. <laughs> I want one saying Judy. <laughs> Judy, yeah, yeah. That would be a great Halloween outfit, Judy. She She's fuming now because Angela doesn't want to play volleyball. Um, she's just sitting around flirting with Paul and uh, a little later on Paul kisses her for the first time immediately he asks if she's mad about it she says no and then he asks for another one just asks yeah 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 what say about you don't that? ask you don't get yeah is that what is it at this point yeah oh so um <laughs> After this, we get some more Paul and Angela. We get a lot of Paul and Angela from this point onwards. And he uh, sneaks up behind her when she's just sitting, minding her own business. Puts his hands over her eyes. And he's like, guess who? A first guess is Ricky. Who's the second guess? No, the first guess is Paul. No, the first guess is Ricky. She said is Ricky. it? Yeah. Oh. Why would you think it was our cousin? Well, who's the second guess? Filet. Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds. Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Which is a weird reference point in 1983 for a 13-year-old. Fucking Burt Reynolds. Burt Re- not, no sort of teen idols, just Burt Reynolds. <laughs> Maybe she's uh, into the sugar daddy type. Maybe. Wait, hang on, how old would Burt Reynolds have been back then? Burt Reynolds in 83. He must have been in his 40s. Oh. Anyway. Post smoke, uh, smoking the bandit, wasn't it? Yeah, that was 70s. Mm. Oh. Yeah, must at least been his mid-40s. Well, after this uh, flirting going on, some more uh, flirting between them two, Meg comes over, starts trying to speak to Angela again. Angela's still not responding, so she uh, starts to shake her. Yeah, yeah, just kidding. And I can... Poor Felissa Rose. She looks like she had the life shaken out of her in this scene. But that's what I... That's what I, you know, mentioned earlier about... It must be really frustrating trying to talk to someone and them not to... But then you see them talking to other people. You'd be fuming. Yeah, but I think by this point, Angela knows that, you know, Judy and Meg are bitches. Basically. Yeah, we, we know that. And they are bitches. Because there's a way to go around about things, you know, shaking someone isn't the way to go about it. But I can understand the frustration. Well, Maybe I'm a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> you're just like Meg. Yeah. I know you want to be Judy. Judy, I know, yeah, just like Meg. <laughs> well, we get some more Judy <laughs> after this. They're back in the, uh, the cabin and uh, she's fuming again. Uh, wants to know if Angela's gay because she doesn't like showering. With everyone else. Mm. Um, I mean, there's a bit of mystery there. Yeah, that adds to the whole medical record thing. Yeah. yeah. And then she drops the best insult in horror film history. What does she say? 
She says, Angela is a real carpenter's dream. Flat as a board and in need of a screw. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah. What a film. I love it. It's just... It, the dialogue in this film... It makes you wonder, did, do you think this is actually written dialogue or do you think there's a bit of ad-libbing going on? I don't know, because it is... Again, it is dialogue that I could imagine... 13, 14, 15-year-olds saying. It That's is. a pretty elaborate insult for a 15-year-old. But no, I think so. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've, I've used it in conversation since watching the film for the first time. Uh, it, the next line of dialogue from Billy, um, I, I got a feeling this probably was written. <laughs> Oh, yeah. So An- Angela leaves after being told she's a carpenter's dream. Susie, Susie gives Judy a slap as well. Yes. <laughs> uh, for being so rude. And uh, Angela goes off to see Ricky. She's not really that phased by it. Um, maybe she knows it's true. Um, and she goes to see Ricky and get hit, gets hit by a water balloon. <laughs> You'd think it was a fucking bowling ball. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, she gets hit in the abdomen with a water balloon. <laughs> she's she knocked out. <laughs> and uh, Ricky comes out, berates the guys. Because they're on the roof. It sounds like every <laughs> swear word in the history yeah. of swear words. And uh, who's who's the guy that threw it? Who's the main guy? I think it's Billy. Bill, Billy, Billy. So he's the short shorts guy. Angela he's, might never have... with, he's never not wearing really short no. shorts. Angela might have pneumonia now. She might have pneumonia <laughs> according to Mel. <laughs> just I, don't, I don't know. Don't uh, play with water balloons, kids. Yeah. You might get pneumonia. Might, well, you thought she might lose an eye as well. But, um, okay. <laughs> I, I thought water balloons were meant for throwing at each other. Yeah. Maybe, maybe we did it wrong back in the day. Well, Billy then informs his friends that he's got to take a wicked dump. A wicked dump, so he's going to be late for the ball game because he needs to take a wicked dump. <laughs> Whatever a wicked dump is. Um, I suppose we find out, actually, because next thing he's gone to the loo, he's uh, sat down on the toilet, he's uh, shorts are down, he ain't wearing no underwear, which is... <laughs> which is... Uh, after you... Um, not very hygienic, uh, especially after a wicked dump. And, um, yeah, what happens after he started having a shit? Uh, the killer drops a beehive on him. Well, it's, it's, it's not really a window. It's not a glass window. No, it's uh, a paper window. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like some sort of netting of some sort. Now, the window, for some reason, goes straight into the toilet cubicle, which... I'm pretty sure is isn't very uh wow. I know I've been in I've been in toilets like that. Oh, people can watch you take a shit. My old workplace actually had a window above the toilet like that. I mean, it was pretty impossible to get up to. You know, I mean, you'd have to have this, step ladders. Yeah, I don't know how. I'm, I'm assuming this one's this sort of like ground yeah. This floor one level. looked more easily accessible, so people could have a good nose that you were. Using the facilities, which I thought was a bit weird. But and that all a bit weird. was our opinions on the toilets. Yeah. <laughs> Come back next week for the next toilet review. Well, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that someone just walking past can have a little look in and see you taking a sh- dump. Or they could drop a beehive dump. on you. Or, 
or in this case, drop a beehive on you. Again, more disgusting practical effects after. Yeah, this was a good, another good, really good one. Um, the effect on the arm, I thought was particularly good with the, um, there was like, uh, like a hole in the arm that the, the bee was going in and out of, which I thought was quite yeah. effective. I'm not sure if bee stings take effect that quick and, but you know, yeah, it was good. Good kill. Yeah. And then we get a bit more exposition into, uh, into Angela's secret. Because her and Paul are making out on the beach. And uh, she has a flashback to uh, when she was younger. Yeah, so she has a flashback to um, her and her brother Peter finding her dad in bed with another man. Now, this other man is present at the beginning, isn't he? Yeah. um, when, When the accident occurs that kills the father... Um, and they're stood at the doorway giggling because her father's in bed with another man and they're being a bit intimate. A, a bit intimate? They're both naked in bed making out, Chris. <laughs> a <No>. bit intimate. <laughs> they're being intimate. This, I'm I'm actually really surprised that film in the 80s showed something like this. It's not, obviously, I mean, as a, a different time, things are a lot more acceptable now and... Uh, it was good to see some... I mean, it's not... I, I don't know if this is positive LGBT representation. I wouldn't really say it is. But I think the fact that, you know, this was shown... Showed, you know, a bit of progression for back then. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure... It's not something the, you'd seen any other I'm 80s. not sure what the point of this is. Um, yeah, because then we get to see... If... if the, the father had just been a single parent. Yeah. You know, his death would have had the same effect. Well, we've heard nothing about Angela's mum, have we? No, no. So, it could be... It could be the case he was a single parent, you know. There's nothing there saying that he was cheating or anything. No, no. But I mean in the sense of... Showing this and having mm. the father be homosexual. What is the point how, oh, it, you how know, does that progress ah, anything? I mean, you could look at this as if they had two dads. They could be two... It could be gay parents. Yeah. But is the suggestion that finding her dad in bed with another man and having that dynamic, is that in turn part of the reason why she's fucked up? It could be looked at that way. I don't know if that's how it's intended. And that's why when she's, you know, getting intimate with Paul on the beach, mm. she's having that flashback in particular. Well, I mean, it could be because she's technically, spoiler alert, she is male herself. Yeah. So technically that's two males kissing, so that might be why she's thinking back to it. Potentially, yeah. Because if she still sees herself as a man... Because we see her and her brother, like, pointing at each other on a bed after. I'm not sure what the point of that was. I d- yeah, I, d- I wasn't really sure of that. I, d- I think maybe that was just there as a hint. Um, you know, uh, P- uh, Peter was pointing at Angela and they're on a bed. I don't, I d- I really, I don't get that. I mean, Aww. it's it's a weird scene. The cinematography on that scene is great. It's um, it, it looks like there's nothing else around. It's just that bed and those characters. Yeah, it's, it looks fantastic. But um, yeah, I mean, the context could be taken in many different ways. Um, 
you know, as with a lot of this film, well, with the ending, um, you know. So, moving on, we'll come back to that sort of theme of things a little later. Yeah, absolutely. Um, moving on, Paul and Angela stop making out. Angela freaks out and runs away. Uh, and shortly after this, Judy, that sneaky little bitch, she, uh, she seduces Paul and uh, starts making out of him in the woods. And Ricky and Angela catch him. Yes, they do, yeah. Yeah, so it's a game of um, Capture the Flag. And uh, the sort of main characters really don't care, apart from Ricky. And uh, they're trying to be sneaky, and Angela and Ricky uh, see um, Judy and Paul making out, getting it on, yeah. in the woods. Which, which Paul which is... Judy, Judy, Judy doesn't give a shit about Paul. No. She's just doing it to rile up both Ricky and Angela. Yeah, and then she makes that pretty clear soon. After yeah. Paul comes apologising, um, you know, Judy goes up to Angela and makes it clear she doesn't give a shit about Paul. No. Again, she's too good for him. She's too good for everybody. And... Um, it, yeah. She's gone to her head. And, um, and then after this, we get a uh, some good editing where we see... Some of uh, Mal getting suspicious of Ricky, thinking that Ricky's the killer, um, getting quite annoyed with him. And then it cuts in between that and uh, Meg and Judy taking Angela down to the water to throw her in because she's always refusing to go swimming. Yeah, so Meg and Judy, this this is probably their bitchiest moment. Yeah. This is where they get physical and Meg goes full Hulk Hogan <laughs> at the Royal Rumble and picks up Angela... And throws her into the lake. Yeah. Some other little kids start throwing sand at Angela as, uh, as Ricky pulls her out of the Yeah, lake. so she's, she, when she gets out, she's upset. But she's also sort of hunched over as if to not show a particular area of herself. Yeah. That might be prominent when it gets, her clothes get wet. So I thought that was, that was an interesting bit there oh yeah definitely that's another little hint it was like oh what's she hiding and then we cut to night time and uh mal makes a uh dinner date with meg well this is instigated by meg really isn't it yeah and uh the the reason for this i'm not sure um what i don't know was mel written to be younger or I don't know. I, don't I, I, I got the impression she was underage. No, Meg wouldn't have been underage, I don't think, because she's a camp counsellor. So she would have been over 18. Huh. She well, she's a camp counsellor. Either way, so she would have Mal been... is Meg's Burt Reynolds. Yes, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. she wants a bit of Mal, so she invites him for a dinner date. She goes to have a shower and uh, gets a knife through the back. She does. This, uh, this scene, I, I, I like this death as well. It was this very Friday the 13th, film. this scene. Oh, no, yeah. Yeah, but absolutely. It kind of reminded me of uh, Final Chapter, Friday the 13th. So this is the, isn't that the first Friday the 13th? I might be wrong. Um, I think that's the first Friday the 13th film with a shower death. Is that? Or it might happen in part three. Are you thinking which... The, the one in part four, Final yeah. Chapter, is the dude that gets his head cracked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. it was a death in a shower. I don't know whether that was done before this or whether this is a first... Probably should have been professional to the research, but... Well, no. <laughs> well, 
I think it would be funny, but if you're talking deaths in the shower and saying that... Oh, this no, is, no this I know what you're getting at. No, I mean, um, in, I mean in a summer camp slasher film. There quite a Yes, I know. Yeah. It, no, I know there's obviously Psycho. I, oh, but Psycho, that's the I know there's yeah, Psycho, sorry, but I mean yeah. in, like, 80s summer camp slasher films, because it becomes quite a popular trope. It happens in a lot of them. Oh yeah, in the shower. Yeah, but that's that's directly linked to Psycho. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. That that to me is Psycho. That's a nod to Psycho. Well, I'm just go fuck myself. Sorry. So, <laughs> I did. You know. Oh, that, wait, it's a great death. No doubt in my mind. A, clearly a paper wall, but a great death. <laughs> well, yeah, it would have been a ch- cheap camp. Yeah, you know, war. But no, it was it was great, really good. Um, and then after this, where are we now? So. Meg gets it. Yeah, she gets killed in the shower. Oh, we see. But this is another no apology from dialogue. Paul. Yeah, Paul apologizes to Angela, and um, she, you know, she's like, okay, um, I forgive you, sort of, and uh, she, and I don't know why this line's so great, but um, maybe it's the delivery. But she says, uh. Meet me at the waterfront after the social. <laughs> and this is really caught on, this piece of dialogue. I love Felicia Rose. I think, yeah, she's great. She's great in this film. And she's she's great in other things that we've watched as well. She is a B-movie icon. She is. She's definitely a screen queen, slay queen, you know, all that business. Um, and I think it is her delivery of this this line that's so great. <laughs> this is a throwaway, you know. Oh, next in my notes, I have Judy is a bitchy icon. Well, yeah, I know that already. Uh, <laughs> and um, we... Um, so Mel finds Meg. Yeah, Mel goes looking for Meg. Uh, and goes, swears his revenge on Ricky. <laughs> goes to the shower block. Meg conveniently falls out the shower. As he and, walks in. And the very moment Mel comes in, she's been, she's been there a while by now. She turned a little blue. Um, but the moment Mel gets there, she flings her out the shower onto the floor. He's like, I'll get my revenge for oh, you, yeah, Mel. Great, great little soliloquy <laughs> from Mel about getting his revenge on Ricky because he, he definitely knows it's Ricky now. Yeah, he, he he's convinced. And then, uh, <laughs> I mean, if he's seen this next scene, then he, he wouldn't be wrong because uh, we clearly get to see Ricky in a wig. Yeah, so next up on the uh, kill list is Judy. <laughs> Our queen. She skipped the social because she wanted to make out with... Uh, pink shirt guy, weren't it? Pink shirt guys, and, and interestingly enough... Pink shirt guy is the only guy that doesn't actually... It, the only person that's nasty to Angela doesn't actually die Yeah. in the film. Um, but he's a shit kisser. Yeah. And he leaves Judy because he's scared of getting caught. And uh, she, you know, berates him as he leaves. <laughs> then we get a shot. The problem is, you know, you, you watch certain th- films and uh, you know I had VHS's back in the day which weren't the yeah. best quality we've watched a few DVDs that aren't the best quality um, and it adds to it you know we've recently watched um, yeah. we, we watched Taxi Driver recently and it was so gritty because it yeah. was on a lower quality Absolutely. on DVD and 
you know, things like that, it, it really makes a difference. Like, in this film, if you're watching it, when I watched this on, you know, DVD back in the day, I never even noticed this, and you shouldn't have to notice this, but now that it's uh, in HD... In HD, <laughs> enhanced, looking lovely, you see in this scene the killer in the doorway yeah. should have been shrouded by shadow <laughs> and as we stated earlier it was uh, the killer was played by um the actor who plays ricky yeah um jonathan i can't remember his surname excuse me and it's very very clearly him in a wig yeah <laughs> um there's no mistaking that it's him in a wig <laughs> And then we get some shadows as he uh, approaches Judy, punches her in the face, and then uh, shoves her hair. Now, we're in debate here. We don't know if this is hair straighteners or or hair curlers. Now, the thing is, Judy has straight hair throughout the film. So I would say that it's hair straighteners, but they look like hair curlers. Yeah. And I know... This isn't really um, a, a meaty discussion to have, but... But if anyone knows, please let us know. This. We did argue a little bit over it, because I say curlers, you I say, say straighteners. But either way, whatever they are, they are shoved straight up a vagina. They certainly are. So we get a shadow on the wall, and uh, this hair, whatever it is, super hot, because she's just been using it. We see that it's burnt, the um, the blanket it was on. And the positioning of Judy's hands in the air and where this um, hair straightener or curler goes, it's definitely straight into her vagina. Yeah, and apparently the aftermath was originally shown, but it was cut by the MPAA because it was too uh, grisly, apparently. How would they have shown that? I dread to think. But uh, <laughs> next up, we find um, that's a good death scene, and oh yeah, I think I think we need to talk maybe a little more on that because that is quite an effective death scene, and I've I've sort of said how great the effects are in this film, mm-hmm. but sometimes, you know, the subtle ones are better. You know, it's what you don't see. Yeah, I mean, that so would be left we to know. Yeah, we know where that's gone, and we can imagine how awfully painful that would be and how horrible that would be and that i think would work better than if we would have seen it all yeah because if we you know something's the best left to the imagination well speaking of which the the next death which is actually some really young kids uh is also off screen um one of the counselors just finds a bunch of kids that have been slaughtered and they're actually the kids that were uh, throwing sand at Angela after she was thrown in the lake. Yeah, the director said that he, he probably regrets this scene. Um he didn't think it was maybe necessary. You know, the kids just chucked sand at her. Yeah, um but she it's, hacks these kids up. Yeah, and it's, it's pretty grisly. It, yeah, it's when um you know, we're, we're maybe a little sympathetic towards Angela. And this is on a, a second viewing, so we know who yeah. the killer is and all that. And so maybe we're a little less sympathetic to Angela because of it. Yeah, and then Mal is still convinced us Ricky. Beats him up. Um, 
like really badly. Yeah, um, they're really good. I mean, he's Ricky survives it, but he beats him up really bad. Well, in, initially Ricky was meant to die, um, but the director had a change of heart yeah. and inserted that scene where they find Ricky and he's still breathing. And Mal quickly realizes he was wrong, and uh, gets an arrow through the neck. He does. He does. Never great, never great special effects. Yeah, that is. Yeah, that is a, a you know, it, it's of its time, so it looks a little, mm, um, but, you know, it must have been very clever to do at the time. And then our favourite cop returns with his fake moustache now, because he had another bit of filming going on at the same time, and uh, he had to, uh, had to shave his moustache off for that filming. So he comes back into the film with uh, this whopping fake moustache on that looks horrendous. It does look really bad. <laughs> it's a completely different colour to his old one. Completely different you character. can see it hanging off, practically. Uh, yeah. I thought they'd just use a bit of uh, shoe polish to begin with. It looks painted on. Um, but this is because... This, so they didn't want to kill off Ricky. Yeah. So this cop discovers Ricky and that's when he... Um, has to wear the fake moustache. Well, two of the camp counsellors, uh, they find Angela uh, at the waterfront after the social. Yeah. Holding Paul. Wow, what you think is Paul, but uh, it's actually Paul's severed head. Yeah, so they're sat at the beach. Uh, Angela is singing a little... Ditty to herself, isn't she? A little uh, creepy song. Yeah, Paul, the, neither of them have clothes on. Paul's sort of lying across her um, legs because she sat down. And then we uh, get a flashback. We do get a flashback. So this sort of ties up all the suspicions of the film. Uh, this gives us the twist. And essentially it's Aunt Martha... Um, taking Angela in after the uh, accident. You can still see the, the bandage on her head, can't you? Yeah. Just, yeah. And it's revealed that Aunt Martha didn't want another boy and wanted a girl and that Angela is actually Peter. Yeah. And Aunt Martha's been raising her as a girl. Yeah, and then uh, we get a very, very iconic image amongst uh, amongst the horror genre. Uh, Angela stands up, turns around and reveals uh, a penis. Yes. <laughs> and uh, the counsellors are like, oh my God, she's a boy. How can this be? And uh, yeah, it's holding Paul's decapitated head. Yeah. End of the film. Big. The film ends on Angela's face. Yes. Looking completely insane. Uh-huh. Making and some very weird animal-like noises. Yeah. So she's completely lost it now. She's completely insane. And we end the film there. And with a and synth pop banger. Yeah. Angela's theme by, uh, is it Frank Valley? It is. I want to say Frankie Valley, but that's uh, Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons. But Frank Valley with an absolute banger over the credits i'm not sure if it fits um but yeah but uh, then spe specifically written for the film this is where the discussion comes in not the song but the <laughs> yeah. 
the trans representation towards the end of the film. It's it's very uh, amongst the fans of the film and amongst the LGBT community especially. It's a very often spoken about subject as to whether this is a good representation or bad representation. And I think it really does depend on how you look at it. Because, I mean, let's face it, within horror films, even, you know, as far back as Psycho and as recent as Insidious 2, you... Trans representation in films has always been very negative. It's always been the killer. It's always been a case of, you know, this guy wants to dress up as a woman, this guy's going around killing people. You know, I think it's something that could be improved on a lot. Yeah. Um, and I think within this film, especially, it, it does leave it open for discussion. It's... And it, it's a, a... Especially means it's used as a plot twist. Yeah. It, it, I don't... I think that's the bit where it comes in as a bit... You know, it comes across as negative. It's the fact that it's used for shock value and a twist. Yeah, so in a film such as The Crying Game, and the, the makers of this film accuse The Crying Game of stealing that twist ending. Yeah. Uh, sorry, spoiler for The Crying Game. Um, but at the end of The Crying Game, it's revealed that the character played by Jay Davison is, has been male throughout the whole time. And this is um, the what they thought was the character of a deceased character and it's revealed that they're actually male. In Sleepaway Camp, the suggestion is, now correct me if I'm wrong, this is how I see it, is that the suggestion is Angela is insane, Angela is a murderer because of this, you know? Do you yeah. feel that way? It's, it's I feel like because... the whole the suggestion of the ending, and it's a great ending, and it's a real interesting twist. It really catches you off guard. But I feel like the whole, the suggestion is that being raised as a girl when she's actually a boy has made her into a murderer. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the film without that twist, and, you know... It's a case of these are people who have done wrong to this girl and she's going around murdering them all. You know, that's your typical slasher film trope. Friday the 13th, Pamela Voorhees kills people for what they did to her son, they for being careless. You know, it's, it's a motivation that it's been seen before, you know, it's been done. So, I mean, I can see the director obviously wanted to try something new. It's just whether this something new is tasteful, because I don't think it is. It's a little... It could be seen as tasteless. It doesn't work now. No. And this is what I, I, this is what I meant by about the, the reboot. If they're going for a straight remake, I don't think they can get away with that now. No. I don't think... I don't even know the need to. I, you know, I think... I don't think it needs remaking. Do, do another sequel. Do a direct sequel, you know, even if it means ignoring the rest of them. Something like that. So then that twist is already there. It's it's already done, you know. Move on from it. Instead of, you know, retreading on old ground and doing it over again and causing a lot of backlash. Because it just doesn't need to happen. I, you know, 
maybe I, I, I don't know I don't think there's any way of working any positive representation into it now there's no way of turning it around that the fact that Angela's a killer and Angela is trans you know it's that's done so just you know do a sequel move on don't try and remake that twist ending yeah I don't and and in fairness the the sequels Sleepaway Camp 2 and 3 well yeah it don't, don't actually really mention it they do because Angela's had a full on sex change oh yes so she she yeah. is yeah she's female a now full on sex change yeah excuse yeah. me yeah yeah I, I, and it, it's in a lot of films particularly from the 80s is where <laughs> Men or that are raised as women or dress as women or who, you know, believe that they are women and want to change their gender end up being killers. Yeah, and there's a really weird way of looking at it. It it really is. And, you know... It's a sign of the times and it hasn't aged well. No. It hasn't aged well and... Um, we we're gonna be talking about uh, Silence of the Lambs in a couple of weeks. Yeah, and it's a very similar. There was backlash from the trans community, um, for that film as well, because they, you know, for similar reasons to this one, saw that it was not a good representation of transgendered people. Now, in Silence of the Lambs, and we'll probably touch on it in a couple of weeks. It's arguable if, you know, Buffalo Bill is transgendered or not. Yeah. Um, it's... But, I mean, that was... Buffalo Bill was based off a real-life serial killer. Yeah, Ed Gein. Yeah. Who I don't believe was transgendered. Well, where did this all come from, then? Because, I mean, you've got, like, Leatherface in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, again, based off Ed Gein, dressed as a woman. He wore, he wore the skin of his victims. But then, like, what's... And then again, Norman Bates and Psycho. Yeah. Based off Ed Gein. And that's... Dressed as a woman. That's to do... Yeah, but he dressed as his mother. So the yeah. whole idea is that the these people are driven insane by their relationship with their mothers, which is, it happens a lot with serial killers. Um, I think maybe it's a film like Dressed to Kill. Mm. I think that hasn't aged well because of, of the sim- similar trope. Yeah. And a similar, you know, ending. Sorry, spoiler for Dressed to Kill. <laughs> yeah. Just spoiling all the films now. Um, it's a very interesting topic. And uh, if you uh, listen to the Dead Meat podcast, they did a very, very good episode on it um, where they spoke about it at length and uh, went across many different films. And uh, they actually came to the conclusion that probably the most positive representation was in uh, Escape from L.A. Mm. Which I mean, I I can't really. I don't like. I didn't like Escape from L.A., but I I do kind of agree yeah. with them to a certain extent there. Yeah, Pam Greer, of course, um, played a trans character in that film, and yeah, I, I can't. Not really got much bad to say about. No, that and I, I think, I, it's a big topic, and uh, for discussion is the representation of transgendered people in film. I don't think we've got enough time now to talk about it. Um, but seemingly from what I've seen um, through my years of film watching, it's either a horrible joke. Yeah. Um, Ace Ventura. Ace Ventura, yes. Or 
transgendered people are seen as killers, murderers. And it's seen that being transgendered and, you know, feeling like they're trapped in the wrong body has driven them insane. Now, that don't cut it now. No. Um, it doesn't. And it, it never really should have. No. And it's a reason why sleep... And it's, it's the thing that pisses me off. People that are like, oh, well, it's a different time. And I know I've just said that myself, it is, but, it was you know, a it's a different time. time. It, that should never have been all right. Not really. I mean, you can't change that now, but, you know, it, it we'll never should have been okay. We watch films with a modern sensibility. We always will, you know. And it makes an interesting discussion. And I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, the makers of Sleepaway Camp are, you know, pieces of shit because of it. It's a really fun film. Really enjoyable. You know, it is a, you know, great twist ending. It just doesn't sit so well. Yeah. I mean, without that aside, though, that Sleepaway Camp, fantastic film. Yeah, apart really from, Apart fun. from that, it's, it's fantastic. Such really a fun funny. slasher. Um, Can't recommend it enough. It, yeah, watch it and, you know, if you haven't watched it, I do recommend watching it. I do hope you have watched it because it's just been spoiled for you now. Yeah. Um, and sort of make your own conclusions on it. I think it's a topic open for discussion. Yeah. Absolutely. Fantastic film. I originally gave it an 8 on IMDb, but I've, I put it up to a 9 today after how much I enjoyed it. I, I can't give it a 10 because of the way it's aged. Mm. But, you know, I mean, I think it's as wild as ever number 9. I think it's a fantastic film. And... Uh, yeah. Is that, is that all our time for today? Uh, we, we've gone over. Uh, have we? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, next week, we will be talking about, which I'm so excited to do, we are talking about Ghostwatch, the BBC made-for-TV film from 1992. If you haven't seen this and you plan to listen to this episode, I urge you to go and watch it before you listen to it. It's phenomenal. Fantastic. Groundbreaking TV. And I can't wait to dig deep into it. I'm sure you'll have plenty of fun doing your research for that one. There's a lot to look oh, into. It's one of those where um, the actual story around it, I find more interesting than the film itself. Yeah, there's there's a lot to go over. Mm, yeah. But um, yeah, so thank you for listening. Yes, thank uh, you very much. Don't forget, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, rate, review and subscribe. If you're listening on Podbean, SoundCloud... Uh, you know, Enemy Cast and like and follow. We're now on YouTube as well. We're, we'll be uploading these uh, episodes to YouTube and to Facebook video. Uh, so, you know, if you're not on any of the streaming services that are on, then go and have a listen on there. And, and uh, you uh, can... Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, I was just going to say, and, and please sort of comment as well. Yeah. And we brought up ideas in the film that, you know, maybe in, in the podcast about the film that you might agree with or disagree with. I'm always open up to hear opinions about films. Um, So, you know, it's great to hear uh, comments from people. Not not about the quality of the podcast, about the film. I love discussing films, you know, as you can probably tell, because we always go over our time limit every week and uh so yeah please please do please do comment and, and let us know yeah i mean even if Your you thoughts. um if you go into our description of the podcast episode on uh, on anything you're listening to on our email addresses on there as well so send us an email let us know what you think and uh you know 
Again, here's up on social media. We're on uh, Horror Court Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horror Court Trash on Twitter. I'm Gazmo205 on Instagram, Gazcruise92 on Twitter. I'm Chris Barker823 on Instagram and Twitter. And that's it. Thanks for listening. Thank we'll you. see you same time, same place again next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>